You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Zach Killy. Morning. Uh, thank you to everybody here. Thanks uh, for hanging out with us. Thank you to everybody online that's checking in with us right now. My name's Zach, and I'm a worship leader here at New Hope. And uh, today we're talking about the book of Hosea. And uh, to give you kind of a recap on what we talked about last week, since this is our second week, Randy talked about Hosea's family, uh, the first three chapters of Hosea. And so what happens is uh, Hosea is a prophet to God. And what that means is Hosea is the person that God speaks to. He's kind of uh, God's mouthpiece, God's spokesperson. And so he talks to Hosea, and then Hosea turns around and he speaks to the people of Israel. That's what a prophet does. And so what God says is he says, Hosea, I need you uh, to marry a prostitute. And you're going to have three kids with her. And you're never going to know if they're yours or not, because... Who knows what she's doing? Who knows who she's with? Who knows who these real fathers are? You're not going to know. So name them accordingly. And so he does. He names the first child Jezreel, which, as Randy told us, is kind of the equivalent of like naming your kid 9-11 or Columbine. Like, it's not good. Uh, the second is, uh, you're not mine, right? Not, not, my, not my son, not my child, not my people. And then the third is, daddy doesn't love you. Really good names, right? And so, eventually, Hosea divorces his wife because of all the sin, of all the running around on him, of all the mistakes. And God says, Hosea, I need you to go take her back. I need you to go, and I need you to bring her back into the fold, restore her, make things right. And so he does. He goes and he finds her, and she's actually being sold into slavery. And so Hosea goes and he pays the slave price to buy her. And when he buys her, he brings her back, he loves her, and he takes the children, and he takes those old, nasty, ugly names, and he gives them new names, honorable names, loving names, things like, you are my child, and I do love you, and the Lord sows, you know, like these beautiful names. And so we see this picture of Hosea and his family, but it's actually an image of God's relationship with his people. And that's what Hosea is serving as right here, is to show God's relationship with Israel and what's going to happen. And so that story actually exists as an outline for the book of Hosea. And so you may be thinking, well, wait, if we already know from the first three chapters what happens, why are we still talking about Hosea? And the answer is, well, we may know the beginning and we may know the end, but there's still that nasty ugly middle, that terrible middle section where God is telling Israel about all their sins and all their mistakes and how messed up they are and how he can't stand them because of it. And we need to confront that and we need to see how that relates to us. And so guess what part we get to talk about today? And so it's six chapters. I've condensed it down to a few passages that I think summarize things fairly well since we don't have time to read six, uh, six chapters. But bear with me. Uh, we're going to move through these, uh, through these scriptures 
right here at the beginning altogether. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. But let no one bring a charge. Let no one accuse another, for your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you. So I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you've ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. The more priests there were, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. And it will be like people, like priests. I'll punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. Their deeds do not permit them to, to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. Israel's arrogance testifies against them. So what can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore, I cut you into pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So woe to them because they've strayed from me. Destruction to them because they've rebelled against me. I long to redeem them, but they speak about me falsely. They do not cry out to me from their hearts, but they wail on their beds. A little heavy. What's going on here is uh, Israel is scared because the Assyrian Empire is growing. It's big, it's scary, and they know it's coming down the line. They know that one day they're going to have to deal with the Assyrians. And so rather than turn to God, rather than turn to the one that can actually save them, they just go to everything they know, everything they can control. They, they put their, their investment in military power, in politics, in trying to make alliances with the nations around them Right? All these man-made constructions, but not God. And the whole time this is going on, they're just going about life like everything's normal. Like, well, yeah, we're, we're still good Jews. We're going to the temple. We're making sacrifices. We're worshiping God. Everything's fine. But the world is crumbling around them. And they're just kind of going about it like they're just part of the regular routine. Does that sound familiar? Let's put it in the context of our world, right? Of today. Murder's on the rise. It's growing all the time, worldwide. China has a holocaust right now. There's a holocaust going on in China with the Muslim people of China. And we don't even talk about it. They're taking them, putting them in concentration camps, putting them to work, all because of their religion. We don't talk about it. Look at North Korea. It's a prison country. The people in North Korea don't know what happens outside of North Korea. All they know is what they're fed. They, they don't eat. They're starving to death. 
They think that they've got it made, though, because their emperor tells them that they do, and that's all they know. It's just lies. They feed them lies. Socialism, communism, creeping into every crack of civilization. And I say that not to get political. That's not my goal. I say it because socialism, communism, they're godless. It's, it's government all based on the sake of government. It's man-made law. There's no place for God in it. And so what I'm saying is as that pervades everything, it, it pushes God out, right? But who cares? Because what's the law? We don't care about the law. Let, you know, the, the law of God, psh, but like, what about just the law of the land? We don't even respect that. There's people right now in this country walking in to Target and just taking things off the shelf and walking out. And the employees are told to not do anything about it because so many people are doing it that they can't stop them. So don't try. That's happening here. And who cares about that? Because there's no truth either, right? As new ageism's on the rise. As that idea of, well, you know, whatever feels good to you. Whatever feels right in you, you know, you follow that. Chase that. It doesn't matter. All, all things are subjective. Just don't mess with me. Don't mess with my family. And I could care less. Just do whatever you want to do. That's fine. And what's the world do? It just keeps putting its faith in more man-made constructs. Let's, let's talk politics. We just got to vote the next right guy in. That'll fix things. Let's just hunker down. We'll, we'll put bigger government, more government. We need, we need somebody to protect us, somebody to, to keep us safe, Right? It's just more of the same thing. And so like, well, you know, that's the world, Zach. That's the world. But we're not the world. We're the, we're the, we're the church. We're Christians. It's different. And by the way, that's the Old Testament. You're reading from the Old Testament. We're not even under the Old Covenant. We're under the New Covenant. We're under Jesus. It's different now. We don't have to worry about that. Okay. Here's some New Testament for you. But... You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're priests. We are all priests, everybody in this room. And you may be going like, well, no, like priests are like, that's like the Catholic church or like, you know, like pastors, like pastors are different you know, than Christians or reverends, you know, preachers, whatever you want to call them. That's something different. Like, I'm a Christian. They're, they're that. But the Bible says otherwise. Pastors, priests, reverends, whatever you want to call them, they're just people that have committed to kind of shepherding people, to kind of looking over groups of Christians. But they're no better. They're no, they're, they're no higher standing. And they're held to the same responsibilities as the church at large. We are all priests before God. And so what's a priest to do? A priest is to carry out God's word, God's authority, to show his love, to spread his influence to all the world because they're near and dear to God. They know God. But then we read Hosea and what's happening? The priests are in the same boat as everybody else. He says, you priests, you prophets, you're, you're as wrecked as everyone. You're all the same. You're all wicked, you're all broken, and therefore, I hold you all accountable. Priests are held accountable for what's going on in Israel. 
So if we're supposed to be spreading the influence of God as priests to God, if we're supposed to be pushing his influence to all the earth, we're supposed to be changing the world. Everything's supposed to be getting better, right? Is it working? Because just like in Hosea, you know, like they're going on about their business like everything's fine, but all the evidence points to things aren't fine. Things aren't getting better. Things aren't changing. Let's just look at the church in America. It's on the decline. You know, we can say, well, you know, obviously this is a strategy plan that has failed at such and such church or this church or that church. And they're just doing something wrong. And that's why numbers are going down. But guys, it's all of it. As Jason was saying earlier, it's, it's the church is on the decline. And it was happening before COVID. And it's happening even more now. Worldwide. It's not working. Something's not working. Something has to change. And when we look at the book of Hosea, it gets really scary because I feel like a lot of Christians today look like the Jews in Hosea. What's happening in Hosea? Well, they're going to temple. They're making the sacrifices. I, I'm eating what I'm supposed to eat. I'm not eating what I'm not supposed to eat. I'm not touching anything unclean. I, I'm, I'm going every day I'm supposed to. I'm not working on the Sabbath. I'm honoring it. I'm, I'm going I'm through all the motions on the holidays. I'm doing all the stuff. Everything's good. I'm a good Jew. We're good with God. He's good with us. Everything's fine. And in a similar fashion, so many Christians today, it's, you know, I go, I go to church on Sunday. And I, I pray the prayer and I, I sing the songs and, you know, I stand up when I'm supposed to stand up. I sit down when I'm supposed to sit down. And I listen to the, the message. And I tithe. I pay the money. I put the money in the bucket. So that's good. And, you know, I hope we build up. I hope we get bigger. I hope we get a bigger church. I hope we invite more people. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Everything's good. But just like the people in Hosea's time, God looks at those motions. God looks at those actions and he sees all that and he says, hey, like, I get it. You're doing all the stuff and that's great. You're going to church. You're, you're making the sacrifices, right? You're, you're doing all the things I've asked you to do, right? And that's great. But I just have to ask, do you know me? Like, I understand from the outside looking in, you know, you're doing everything. Everything about you tells me that you know about me. You know everything I've asked of people. You do all that. That's fine. But do you know me? And that's scary. Because what that does is it, it invites the reader in to this book, into Hosea, to stop and look at it and say, I think, I think that's me. I think I'm those people. I think I'm like those people. In so many ways, I'm like those people. Sometimes I do just get caught up going through the motions. And so what's happening is it's really easy for me, right, to, to point the finger over here and say, oh, well, the problem with the decline of the church, the problem with the world right now is people just aren't going to church. And, and you know, maybe, maybe uh, you know, that guy didn't vote right. And maybe that guy over there, you know, he needs to just start doing better. He needs to, to stop, uh, I don't know, doing X, Y, Z sin, you know. These, these people over here, they just need to start inviting more people to church. 
These people need to, to think like I do politically. Then things will get changed. We just need to vote the right guy in. Then things will change. But what this passage is doing is it's taking that finger that I'm pointing at everybody else and it's spinning it around and it's pointing it at me. It's pointing it at you. And it's saying, do you know me? Do you really know me? Because that matters. Just doing the things isn't enough. Do you know me? Randy talked to us, a, I don't know, a month and a half ago, something like that, about the line of sin and how it runs through each one of us. That it's not, it's not that person over there. It's not their fault. It's not his fault or her fault or some government's fault or whatever. It's, 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 it's me. I'm the problem. I'm the mistake. I'm, I am what's wrong. Something needs to change in me. Because when we recognize that, when we recognize that it's me that's the problem, well, then I have to ask, well, wait, what do I need to do to fix that? What, what changes me? What can change me? And the only answer is coming to God. Coming to God is what you have to do to change. But we just read Hosea, and God just said, these people, their hearts are so far from me. They're so wicked, they can't come to me. They can't return to me. They're too far gone. Something's wrong in them. They're broken and they can't be fixed. And that's just it. That's what separates us from them. We aren't too far gone. We, we can come to God. Not on our own. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing you can do in all your wickedness, in all my wickedness. There's nothing anything can do to fix this world. It can't be done. But Christ can. Jesus can. He's already done it. He did all the work. He went to the Father. He gave Himself for all of us. That when He goes to God, He attributes His righteousness to you and me. So when God looks down on you and me, on these broken, messed up sinners, that He doesn't see that. He sees Christ. He sees what Christ did on that cross when He looks at you and me if we put our faith in Christ. And so that's where change comes from. That's what fixes this world. It's Jesus Christ. It's not us. It's nothing we can do. It's Him working through us. But we have to want that. We have to go after that. We have to allow that. People relate to a lot of different... Uh, characters in the Bible. Um, maybe they find themselves seeing like a little glimpse of themselves in like David, right? Uh, he's a popular one. Uh, Paul, Peter, the apostles, you know, uh, Job, a lot of those big names. But the one that resonates the most with me is somebody that I don't even know exists. Like, I don't know that they're a real person. But Jesus talks about him in a story that he tells. And in the story a Pharisee walks into the temple, and I know I've told you this story before, but it's so important. A Pharisee walks into the temple, and he goes to God, and he says, Father, thank you. Thank you so much for making me righteous, for making me good. 
that I can go out and I can stand among these sinners and I can do so much good out there. While they're just so lowly and so messed up, you've made me good. And thank you for that. And he leaves. And then the next man that walks in, he's just some guy. He's not a, he's not a teacher. He's, he's nobody. And he walks in and he can't lift his head because he's so distraught. He's so convicted by who he is inside. He sees his brokenness. He sees how much of a train wreck of a person he is and that he is standing before a holy God. And so when he walks in, he says, Father, please forgive me. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I can't do any good. There's no good in me. There's no righteousness in me. And so please just have mercy on me. Please just look on me with compassion because I can't do it. I can't do any good. But I'm begging you, please just, just forgive me. And he leaves. And Jesus says, so which one of those men, which one left righteous? Which one left justified? And it's not the Pharisee. It's the man that knew who he was, that knew how broken he was. It's the man that spent his entire time in the temple with his face to the ground and his knees on the ground. He couldn't look up because he saw how corrupted he was in the darkest parts of him that maybe other people didn't even know. But that's the man that left justified. And to be completely honest with you, some days that's all I've got. And I bet you're in the same spot from time to time. Because... We have those mountaintop moments. We have those valley moments where sometimes everything's great. Everything's good. I'm getting it together. I've been kicking that sin habit that I've been dealing with for so long. It's gone. I'm finally good. And in the blink of an eye, it's all back. I'm doing the same old stuff. What happened? And I find myself right back on my knees. I'm broken again. I'm before God. And I'm begging, please just forgive me because I'm nothing. And I can't do it. Every time I think I can do it, I can't do it. And it's day in and it's day out. And that's good enough because honestly, that's all we need. That's where we need to start. The goal is to move beyond that. But at the very least, you can always find yourself back there. On your knees before God in repentance. Being Jesus in every corner of our culture starts with a repentant heart. It starts with a broken heart. We want to see the world change around us. We want to see everything be different. We feel like God is just being pushed out of society and we just keep praying that maybe we'll vote the right guy in. Maybe the church will just get revitalized. Maybe everything's just going to just going to go great. But it starts with a broken, repentant heart. When I think about it, when I think about like, man, maybe we're finally going to like get this whole thing turned around. Maybe there's hope. I always think like, I don't know, like in this grandiose vision of like this big revival and there's just millions of people getting baptized and everybody's coming to God and it's just happening like somebody said the right thing and it all just came together and it clicked for people. And like, oh, now I get it. Now I care. And to be honest with you, I don't think that's how it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen a little bit at a time with little people like you and me 
just getting down on our knees and begging God for forgiveness for who we are inside and for begging forgiveness for this world and for this nation and for our cities, for our families, for the people around us, and begging that He will have mercy on us and compassion on us and give us new hearts, new minds that teach us to be more like Jesus. That's where it starts. And if you're looking at your life right now and you're saying, well, I've never done that. I've never had to do that. First of all, you're probably wrong for not having done that. That's okay. You can start now. You can start today. And if you're struggling with something right now, that's okay. Get on your knees in repentance before God. Beg Him to change you. Beg Him to forgive you. And He's good on that. He will do it. And I'll tell you what, if you get down on your knees today and say, God, I'm not good enough. I'm a sinner. Please take this sin away from me. And you do. You walk away from it. You turn around. You walk away from that sin. And by the end of the day, you've done it again. Guess what? Get back down on your knees again. Go back to God. That's the life we're to lead as Christians. It's this constant life of repentance, of going back to God, of never being content with our sin. And sometimes it's uncomfortable, but we can leave justified. And that's what changes this world. And so I'm begging you that if you haven't ever done it, if you've never asked God to forgive you for your sins, start today and don't ever stop. This world is not too far gone. The beautiful thing about being stuck in this middle, in this middle section of the story, because that's where we spend most of our lives, is we can see the end. We can see Jesus in sight. We know that one day that, that renewal is coming, that everything's going to be good, that he's going to wipe a tear from every eye. There's not going to be any more sadness or sin or death, and everything's going to be good. And we know that's coming, but right now we're still dealing with this middle. But have hope and know that you can leave justified at the end of the day when you go to Christ. Let's go to Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your prophets. You know that Randy and I were talking the other day about how most people probably wouldn't like the prophets because their message is scary and it's sad, but it forces us to, to evaluate ourselves and to see ourselves as we really are and to come before you and recognize that all the problems of this world don't start with other people. They start getting fixed with us. Just stopping and recognizing our mess that we are and asking you to make us something better, to take away all that sin and shame and guilt and that mess and replace it with your son, Jesus. And so, Father, today I just beg that you just lay your spirit on each one of us in this room or at home and that we can come to you and we can ask you for forgiveness and ask you for change and just ask Jesus into our hearts, even if we've done it for the millionth time today, Lord, let us do it again. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.